I'll just keep talking. Uh, we're going to look at Revelation 21. I think it's going to be on the screen. Um, there are a few Bibles in front of you if you want to turn to Revelation 21. Just going to read the first five verses. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Okay. Beloved students, listen to God's word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. The sea in scripture is an image of chaos. There's no more chaos. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, or behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with him. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things is passing away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Willoughby Church members, I consider it a singular privilege this morning to be able to speak to the young people in my midst. And so, while I will be addressing the students, know also that this message is for you. Students, did you have a good weekend? Yeah? And you did, awesome. And is it true that you are a little bit tired this morning? It is true, okay. I wanna ask you to do me a favor. Give me 15 minutes. Will you do that, give me 15 minutes? Can you do that? Think so? Okay, good. He's clapping. I didn't say I would only talk for 15 minutes. I asked if you would give me 15 minutes, okay? And it's important because if you give me 15 minutes, at least you'll hear the front portion of this message. I believe something very important. I believe that what this world in the West right now needs desperately is a generation of young people who are going to grow up to be mature and fearless followers of Jesus, courageous, bent to the will of their master, so that no matter what goes on in the world today, and many crazy things are going on, no matter what the next chapter of our world is, we will have a generation in the West of people who are young now and going to be mature later, who are faithful to the Lord, no matter what is terrifying them, no matter what kind of crazy things are going on. And it's because of this core conviction of mine that I just want to say one simple thing to you this morning. I want to encourage you toward one thing this morning. Encourage you to remember one single thing this morning, and it's this. I'm going to draw some of the strands, as Pastor Chris and Pastor Grant have asked me, some of the strands from the weekend together. But I want you to remember this. This is the theme I want to wrap it around. Remember to trust Jesus. Even more, remember that you can trust Jesus. No matter what goes on, 
no matter what happens in your life personally or in the world at large in the days and months and years to come. I want to start with a story. Grizzly bears. They're terrifying. They're enormous. They're gigantic and toothy and frightening. I know this because when I was 20 years old, I ran, un- ran into one. It was about 80 feet away from me when I was tree planting in a hel- high elevation block up in the mountains just outside of Prince George. The cardinal rule, if you run into a grizzly bear, we were told, is to never run. A grizzly bear is an apex predator. The grizzly bear I ran into was a seven and a half or eight year old silverback grizzly. It was enormous. Don't run. That's what we were told. But my natural instincts kicked in. (laughs) I dropped 200 pounds of trees that were around my waist, dropped my shovel, picked up the shovel thinking I might need it. My adrenaline took over and I ran like the wind. Thanks be to God, that bear had been very well fed that morning apparently and wasn't hungry. I would have made an incredibly no-fuss meal without any hair or fur or horns or anything like that. But thank God indeed that that bear was hungry or thirsty and not hungry that day. It's a true story. Here's another true story. 2011... Glacier National Park, they had an abundance of grizzly bears that summer, tons of them. There was no culling, and so the population had grown very, very large. And that didn't prevent people from going into Glacier National Park because those bears, too, were very well fed. Not only was the grizzly population large, but even more, the deer population was very large. And so the grizzlies were well-fed. They normally did not want to get engaged with human beings, and so there wasn't many encounters. And so the hikers would go up into Glacier National Park, as they did, and so too would horseback riders and horseback riding outfits. On one particular day during the summer of 2011, a horseback riding outfit was going to go up with a group of eight people, new riders, just for an hour trip. Half an hour up, half an hour back. It was a very special day for a father and his young son. The son was eight and a half years old. The father was an experienced rider, had done horseback riding all his life, but I suppose they had moved to the city. The son had not had an opportunity. This was going to be his first ride. They gave him a horse called Scout. Scout was the buttercup munching sweet horse that everyone who was a new rider wanted to ride because he was gentle and he was kind and he would nuzzle up to you and he didn't move suddenly and the like of that. Scout was a wonderful horse for this eight and a half year old boy. The leader of the group of eight that day was a 25 year old wrangler called Aaron and Aaron was riding a horse called Tonk. Now Tonk the newspaper article that I read this story in, Tonk was no ordinary horse. Tonk was extraordinary. And he was extraordinary not only because he had 10 years of seasoned experience with riders on his back. And he was extraordinary not only because he was a brilliant white color, but he was extraordinary because he was also positively enormous. He was huge. 
He was 18 hands high. I don't know if that means anything to any of you. It doesn't mean anything to me, but I'm imagining it's massive. That's what I'm told, 18 hands high. So Aaron has got Tonk, he was a lively, spirited horse, and they were leading out the way. The first half an hour was wonderful. The sun was shining, the sky was blue, the waters were sparkling, but then something unexpected happened. Tonk stopped dead in his tracks, positively froze. Aaron didn't know what was going on, all she saw initially is that Tonk's ears twisted this way and that, and his skin was eddying, trembling a little bit. She heard something to the left of her, outside the path, and looked, and she saw a deer bounding in the forest just next to her, coming towards the trail. And that wasn't that scary, but what was scary is that there was an enormous 700-pound grizzly bear chasing the deer through the forest, coming directly for the trail. Now, horses have an instinct, much like my instinct, that absolutely and positively overtakes them when they see a 700-pound grizzly bear charging towards them. Any guesses what that instinct might be? Of course, they want to run, and that's precisely what all of these horses did. All nine of them, the eight uh, riders, and then of course Aaron on Tonk, spun on a dime, turned around, and thundered down the trail at lightning speed. But a problem arose, and the problem was is that the deer was a faster runner, and the deer began running after the horses with the pair chasing the deer down the trail overtook Tonk and Aaron, overtook the next horse and the next horse, came to scout in the eight-and-a-half-year-old boy. You hear something's going to go wrong here? Jumps left into the forest, starts bounding through the forest as a deer can do, and scout, instead of, as a trail horse is supposed to do, instead of following the horses in front of him as they were running, scout got confused and chased the deer, went after the deer with the eight-and-a-half-year-old boy on his back into the forest. Oh no. The boy was not able to hold on and fell off into the forest floor. The bear was still chasing. The deer by this time had gone long away. And this boy, eight and a half year old, was going to be a much easier meal than that deer. Erin knew immediately that she had to do the impossible. She had to be able to turn Tonk around and get Tonk to face off against the bear to confront the bear, to overcome all of its natural instincts and to go in the direction of danger. Tonk stopped when she pulled up on the reins. He turned, and unbelievably, this extraordinary horse, 18 hands high, charged a 700-pound grizzly bear. The bear maneuvered around Tonk and went in the direction of the boy. Aaron knew that she had to direct the horse once again as its rider to get between the grizzly bear and the eight and a half year old boy. So again, she pumped on her sides, pumped on Tonk's sides, and Tonk, it was a miracle the first time, and the second time, Tonk again went for the bear and got in between them. Not once, not twice, but three times was Aaron able to direct Tonk, this extraordinary horse, to go and face off against a 700-pound grizzly bear. At the third time, 
the grizzly went away. It turned in the other direction. But of course, not trusting that the bear wouldn't come back again, Erin, as quickly as she could, went over to where the eight-and-a-half-year-old boy was, went down, picked him up, put him safely on the back of Tonk, jumped back on Tonk, grabbed Scout's reins, and went down the trail to follow the others. Five minutes down the trail, they finally caught up with the others who were waiting. The father, as you can well imagine, was in a complete and utter panic. Understandably. He said to Aaron at that point, he said, I tried, I'm an experienced rider. I tried to get my horse to go and come back so I could help. My horse wouldn't budge. No, only Tonk would budge. Only Tonk would turn around and go face off against a 700-pound grizzly bear, overcoming all of its natural instincts. And the question I asked myself when I read this unbelievable and touching story about Tonk and about Aaron the rider was this. How on earth was it possible for Tonk to overcome all of its fear, all of its natural instincts to run the other direction, and to follow the leading of its rider directly into danger? How is Tonk able to do that? It's impossible. Well, there's only one possible answer that I can come up with, and it is that somehow, over the seasons of yielding its own will to the will of the rider, as an experienced horse, somehow Tonk had amazingly come to trust the rider more than he trusted his own instincts. Tonk learned to trust the rider more than he trusted his own instincts. I don't know how that makes you feel, but when I think about my relationship with Jesus, and I think about my life going forward, I say, I want to be like Tonk. You know that old commercial, I want to be like Mike? I'm probably really dating myself right now. <laughs> Jeez. I want to be like Tonk. Lord Jesus, help me to be like Tonk in my relationship with you. I want to be faithful to you, Lord. In this generation, I don't want to turn around and run. When the going gets tough and abandon my faith or not do what is right or not go in the direction that you're prompting me, I want to be courageous. I want to overcome my fears. I want to be faithful to my rider. The honest truth for me is that when certain things go on in my own life, particularly when I become afraid, I can wonder if my rider is really trustworthy. You ever have that? I wonder, can Jesus truly, really, really be trusted in this? You know, he proved himself trustworthy in that. But now that there's a new struggle, can I actually trust him in this? I often feel like the man who lived his whole life in the deep south. He had heard, this is about 200 years ago, he had heard that when it gets really, really cold, the deep south, if you don't know, it's, it can be very warm. It's always nice temperatures. But he had heard that up in the northern parts of the states, and especially in Canada. It gets really, really cold. So cold, in fact, that lakes freeze over solid, and human beings can walk over lakes. But he thought this was incredible. He had trouble believing it. And so one winter, in the dead of winter, he took a train, and he went up into northern Canada, and he stood out beside a lake that had been frozen over, and he's on the shore, and he just looked out at the vast expanse for a while, marveling that a lake could freeze over like this. Incredible. 
And then ever so slowly he thought, okay, let's test this. And he kind of took his foot and he did this and he heard the cracking, you know, when the snow just freezes right on the top. He heard the cracking and he thought, it's not safe. And so what he did is he got down on all fours on his hands and knees and ever so slowly testing the ice as he went, crawled out into the ice. And then from behind him, he heard a noise, which became louder and louder very quickly. And he turned around to see the noise, and he saw a man in a carriage driving four horses, full steam ahead, Clydesdales, enormous horses, directly out into the ice. And into the distance, they thundered with their galloping. I don't know about you, but often I feel like that man on all fours in my relationship with God. Jesus, can I trust you? Can I really trust you? Are you solid? Are you secure? Are you going to hold me? Am I going to fall in? You ever feel that way? Well, the truth, of course, of Scripture, and the truth that I want to drill home to you a little bit here this morning is that, of course, Jesus can be trusted. We have every reason in the world to trust the Lord of glory. And here's what I want to do. I want to give you three images, okay, from the book of Revelation. The text that we read is the final image. I want to give you three images from the book of Revelation that will show you, remind us that we can indeed trust Jesus. Remember, we can trust him, okay? Three images. First, in Revelation, and here's the reason I'm choosing Revelation, by the way. The context into which John is writing. John is a pastor, remember, John the seer. Yes, he writes with all of this imagery, and it's one of the hardest books in the Bible, although it's really not when you get the key kind of to understanding it. But John is writing to a church who has been persecuted or who is suffering in various ways. People really didn't like the early Christians that much, and so there was economic deprivation. They didn't let them sell in the marketplace. There was, in fact, um, physical beatings and other things like that. Some of the Christians were losing their lives. There was, it was a difficult time. There was much to be afraid of. That is the context into which John is writing. And he gives them images throughout the book that are to hearten them, encourage them, and remind them that indeed they can trust the Lord of glory. They can trust Jesus. So, in Revelation chapter 1, there's this image. I shared this with the body two weeks ago, but it's so pregnant and so good. I want to use it again. We have this picture, John says he sees this vision of a son of man who's walking amidst seven candlesticks or seven lampstands. And you kind of go, what on earth, the son of man walking through seven lampstands, what are these lampstands? And when you read a little further down chapter one, you're told what the lampstands are. You know what the lampstands are? There's seven churches in Asia Minor. They're the people of God. They're the Christians. The Son of Man, who is Jesus, is walking in the midst of his lampstands. They believed that Jesus had abandoned him. They were beginning to fear that it was all a big joke. They were losing their lives. They were suffering. They were terrified by many things. And John wants them to know, look again from a heavenly perspective. It may not look like Jesus is around. It may look like he has abandoned you. It may look like this is too much for him. Uh Uh-uh. The Lord of glory is calmly walking in the midst of his lampstand. He is with you. This is not beyond him. He wasn't surprised what was happening in your life. And he cares for you. I love to share the story of what happened to me 
and my brother Greg, when we were trying to raise money for Student Dynamics, actually a predecessor to Reactivate. And I love to tell this story because it was one of the first times in my life, or one of the signal times in any event, where I truly learned that Jesus is with me even when I don't think he is necessarily, and that he cares for me. Greg and I were indeed biking to California, and the truth was I was actually driving the truck and Greg was doing the biking. It was going to take five or six days to get there. Some, I don't know if it was 200 kilometers a day or something like this. On a fourth or fifth day in the morning, I woke up with a very bad case of hiccups. Normally, I can get rid of my hiccups in 10 or 15 minutes. I have my methods. And uh, on this day, it didn't work. So we had started at 7 o'clock in the morning. By 10 o'clock, I still had my hiccups. I tried my usual methods again. Nothing worked. By 1 o'clock, I still had my hiccups all the way until dinner time. When we sat down at 7 p.m. that night, 12 hours later, I still had these wretched hiccups. My neck was sore. I had a headache. I don't, have any of you ever had hiccups that bad that long? It was actually really terrible. In any event, Greg and I sat down to eat dinner because even if you have hiccups, you still need to eat. We sat down for dinner, and I said, hey, dude, would you pray? I don't want to interrupt this with my hiccups. And Greg, by the way, had already tried to help me. I tried holding my breath. I tried drinking water upside down. I tried a little salt. I was desperate, tried anything. Greg tried scaring me. He tried this little Mr. Miyagi thing. Have you ever heard about this one? When they, put, they press on the back of your head, and it makes you a little faint. Anyways, that didn't work. So I didn't want to interrupt the prayer with my hiccup, and so I said, could you pray, dude? He's like, of course, of course, I'd love to. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for keeping us safe on the road. Thank you for... And then I let off the giant hiccup. And I smacked him on the arm and I said, and pray for my hiccups. And dear Lord, uh, please heal out of his hiccups. Jesus' name, amen. I had tried drinking water upside down. I had tried holding my breath. Greg tried the Mr. Miyagi trick on me. I tried licking salt. I hadn't thought of praying. Come on, we don't pray about things like hiccups. Do we? Greg and I stared at each other from across the table and waited and waited. Not a word of a lie. I did not get a single case of hiccups for the rest of the summer. For months. And for years after that, the first thing that I would do when I got hiccups was drink a glass of water. No! The first thing I would do is pray. Because Jesus is with me and because he cares for me. Because even though I don't see him, he is the God of the meanwhile. He's working in the background doing things. We may not understand what he's doing. But as Pastor Chris taught, he is the God of the meanwhile. Remember that God is always with you and he is remembering you right here and right now. And that means we don't need to fear anything because he cares for us. The second image I want to share with you comes from Revelation chapter 5. There's another vision. It's in the throne room of God. The creator has been seen in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 there's a scroll, this mysterious scroll. And an angel flies around in the heavenly realm with this scroll and he says, who is worthy to open the scroll? And then everybody starts weeping because no one is worthy to open the scroll. What does that scroll represent? The scroll represents God's purposes for history, according to a scholar by Richard Bauckham, and I believe him, he's a very good scholar. 
The scroll represents God's purpose for history that were frustrated because of human sin. Because of the entrance of evil into the world, God's purpose, of course, as you know, was essentially for that little pocket of Eden, the paradise there, to expand over the entire world so that the glory of the Lord would fill the earth as the water covers the sea. It was to be a place of intimacy, relational harmony, and all-around beauty. But it was frustrated because of us. We were to be God's stewards and vice regents in the world. We were to be his servants, bringing his glory into the four corners of the world. It was frustrated because of us. And then, John gives us the image I want you to focus on. He says, but lo, behold. Then I looked, and there was an apex predator. There was a lion. Surely a lion could conquer. No, 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 but it is a lion that then he looks again and he sees a lamb. It's a lion lamb. And this one, we are told, is worthy to open the scroll. And why is he worthy to open the scroll? Because he deals with the problem that frustrates God's purposes for history. Namely us. We're the ones who messed it up, according to Scripture. We're the ones who rebelled against God and sinned against him. But the apex predator who is also the lion who is also a lamb, the apex predator who is also the image in scripture, the object of sacrifice because he conquers sin and death and evil in the world precisely by laying down his life. He's the lion lamb. He has victory by being conquered because the deepest enemy is the enemy that exists in the human soul. It's the one that wants to revolt and rebel against God and it's brought death into this world. And here's the thing. You may doubt sometime that God cares for you. But for someone to go this far, for God to do that, Paul puts it this way. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. But for a good man, good man somebody might possibly dare to die. Right? You might go and stand in the gap for somebody that you find saintly and wonderful. You might sacrifice your life for that. People have done it. There's lots of stories in history of people doing that. But God, Paul goes on to say, demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what? Sometimes you're going to feel that God is going to abandon you because you're doing naughty things, because you're messing up royally, because you know you're running in the wrong direction and playing for the wrong team. You're going to feel, oh my goodness, no wonder this suffering has happened to me. It's because God is punishing me. God doesn't punish his children, okay? God disciplines his children, but he does not punish you. So take great heart. The lion lamb who died for you will not abandon you. You can trust a God like that. By the way, you know the greatest Christian answer to the problem of evil? It's not philosophical refinement. The Bible does not give us a philosophical answer to the problem of evil. The Christian answer to the problem of evil is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Because the problem of evil raises this question. Can God be trusted or is he actually sinister, a God that allows that kind of stuff to go on? But what we have to do is to say, can the kind of God who offers himself on a cross to make us whole can that kind of God be trusted? It is God's final answer to the problem of evil. It is a deed that we can trust in. You know the story I told you earlier about Aaron and Tonk? Have you, do you remember that? I know we're probably over 15 minutes now. 
Remember that story? You know what Erin did when she got back to camp? She did everything she could to buy Tonk. Tonk was just a lease horse. Tonk was just a rental that came in every summer. And Erin bought Tonk. Why would she buy a horse like that? Why would she be so compelled? They're not cheap. She did because she knew she could trust a horse like that. One that will go into the face of danger, sacrificing itself potentially for her. Oh, you want to keep a horse like that close by because you can trust a horse like that. And how much more then can we trust the lion lamb? Take heart, church. Take heart, students. You can trust the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one more image, and I'll conclude with this. It's the text we read. And by the way, you see where we're going. Remember that God is remembering you. He's the God of the meanwhile. That's what Pastor Chris taught you. Then remember that God has already remembered you in the past by stretching out his arms and dying on the cross for you. But now, we have to fill out the picture. Remember also that God will yet remember you. And I saw, says John, a new heavens and a new earth for the old order has passed away. There'll be no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain. Here's the, here's the point. The best is yet to come. Paul says, I do not compare the present sufferings with the glory that is going to be revealed. Do you know what's coming for you? You may suffer incredibly today, but God is going to overcome all of that sorrow, all of that mourning, all of those hard things will be wiped away. He is bringing you into a whole new world. And by the way, if you think that your final destiny is heaven after you die, right? Sometimes we say, hey man, what's my hope? My hope is I'm going to heaven after I die. That is not the scriptural picture. It's a part of the scriptural picture. If you die today, I believe as the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Absolutely, you will be in heaven in the presence of God. But as N.T. Wright says, heaven matters, but it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world because the Christian hope is for life after life after death. This is the Christian hope. Yes, you will go and your spirit will be in heaven with God, but your final destiny is the resurrection of the body in a world made new where there will be no more sadness, tears, or any bad thing will ever be there anymore. It is this world. So think about your favorite place in the world today. Guess what? Take heart you'll be able to go back there. It might be fuller. It might be more fruitful. It may be more beautiful. It likely will. You'll be able to go back there. This world is our home. The world, as the contemporary testimony says, belongs to God. And we rejoice in that. But not only will you be in a new world, this world made new, but you will have a new body. And think about that. Your body will be like Jesus' resurrected body. Remember what Jesus could do with his resurrected body? He could eat. I'm super grateful that Jesus could eat with his new body. I can't wait for the foods in heaven. Maybe they're going to be acaloric. Donuts will not have calories anymore. I'm hoping, right? It's going to be the new world. It's going to be heaven come to earth. You'll have a new body. And nothing bad will ever enter there anymore. And Jesus' body, by the way, he could do some other pretty cool things. Like not only could he eat, but he could just appear in certain places at certain times. 
So let's think, put that together with eating, you know? I'm thinking maybe breakfast in France and lunch in Italy and then maybe a dinner in, on the beaches of Mexico somewhere. He could also ascend straight up into heaven and that would be pretty cool. We don't know what the resurrected body is going to look like in all of its fullness, but you can be sure it's going to be pretty cool. It's going to be better than the bodies we now have. And no sin will ever enter there. Think about what won't be in heaven for a second. No more hospitals. No more police departments. No more crisis care centers. There'll be no more psychologists, no more nurses, no more doctors, and no more people like me, preachers. You won't have to extend your attention beyond 15 minutes because God will be all in all. There'll be no temple, John says, in the celestial city because the Lamb and God will be present to our immediate senses at long last. Whatever you're going through right now, don't worry, God has you. I conclude with this story, another true one. In, I don't know what year it was, forget it. I was 15 or 16 years old, and uh, I had spent a week with my friend Dave Groot up in uh, Shady Lagoon Campground along with his parents, Norm and Grace, And Dave and I had to take a bus home because we had to work. And so Norm dropped us off at, I think it was like 10.45. The bus was supposed to come at 11 at the Greyhound station in the city of Osoyas. We were the only ones there. At 11 o'clock, they shut up um, the, the office, as it were, where you buy the tickets. And the bus happened to have been late. So we were sitting out there all alone. It was dark. And... A figure, about 15 minutes after we were there, 11.15, we still didn't know when the bus was coming. We kept looking up the road to see the lights coming. They didn't come. A man, 15 minutes into it, he walks, a figure walks out of the shadows. It's a tall guy. I don't remember how tall, probably 6'2 or 6'3. He was certainly taller than me, wearing, um, what do you call those things again? Uh, This is really good. Sleeveless shirt. I can't think of the word. Yeah, tank tops. Okay, he's wearing a tank top. Anyways, he's got these big shoulder muscles, and he comes up to us, and I, a shiver went up my spine when I saw him, because I'm like, ooh, somebody's here, and, you know, it's dark, and it's late, and I was already a bit afraid and a bit on edge. And he comes up to us, and he was being all friendly, but it was at this point when he starts talking to us that I notice on his sleeve he's got a tattoo of a dagger with blood dripping off of it on his right forearm, and I... Like, oh my goodness, I don't feel right about this. I'm scared. Another chill went up my spine. He's continuing to talk very nicely to us. And he says, you know, um, I really like your friend's jacket there. And uh, then at some point in the conversation, my friend was wearing this tiger jacket. It was really the thing back then. Dave was wearing this cool jacket. And anyways, then he says, you know, um, I've, I've done kung fu. And I really like your jacket. In fact, I have a black belt in Kung Fu. I totally believed him. And I'd really, I, I, I'd really like your jacket, he says to Dave. And I'm thinking, just give him the jacket, man. Like, I am feeling this is spooky. I don't like this guy. Give him the jacket, Dave. Dave looks down at his jacket. He's like, uh, I just got this jacket. This is, no, I'm not giving it to you. He says, okay, well, um, you know, how about this then? I won't beat up your friend if you give me your jacket. And I'm like, I literally said, Dave, just give him the jacket. He's like, I'm like, give him your jacket. That's when I got a roundhouse kick to my head. I pretended like I was mortally wounded, 
I wasn't, I didn't feel a thing. My adrenaline was going so strong and laid down on the bench like this, hoping that this would be enough. It didn't, he knew I was bluffing. And so then he said, okay, I'll tell you what, guys, how about, oh, by the way, I didn't tell you one of the fun parts. The reason he was going after me is because he told me, he said, yeah, man, you've been hitting on my girlfriend. I'm like, who's your girlfriend? That was the wrong response. <laughs> Anyways. So then he says, how about if I'll fight the two of you with one hand behind my back? And both Dave and I are like, you know what, we're not really fighters. We're trying to reason with this guy. Continually, we're looking up the road for the bus to come. He continues to harass us and intimidate us like this for another five minutes. And at long last, I saw the lights coming in the distance ever so slowly, but they came. And the bus arrived. Dave and I bolted onto the bus, told the bus driver what was happening, and ran to the back of the bus. He went and picked up our luggage, which we left outside. I didn't care about the luggage, and put it in the bus for us. But coming onto the bus... It was like a whole new world. At last, we were safe. At last, all things were well and all manner of things were well. Beloved, the resurrection of Jesus, students, the resurrection of Jesus is this. The lights are already visible in the distance. You can see the lights. Jesus rose from the dead. And that means that you will rise too and a whole new world is coming. He's the first fruits of a new creation. Look at the lights in the distance, you're going to be on the bus soon enough now. You can trust him because the God who makes promises keeps promises despite all the odds that, keep our, that kill our hope. Remember that God is remembering you. He's the God of the meanwhile. Remember that God has already remembered you. He's done everything necessary on the cross. And remember that God will yet remember you. The future that is coming is indescribably good. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those that love him. Take heart. We can be like Tonk. We can run full out for Jesus. And if we trip and fall, don't worry. Just get up, dust yourself off, and orient yourself again in the direction that the rider is leading. Let me pray. Lord God, I pray that <clears throat> by your Holy Spirit, you would allow some of these words to penetrate our hearts. We, Father, we, we do not remember everything we hear. I just pray this morning that we would be transformed on the spot. Only you can enable us to trust you. We can't do this by a feat of our imagination. We can't do this by mental gymnastics. But Holy Spirit, we need you to come and touch our hearts so that we can see and believe and act on what we believe. I pray, Lord, for this next generation of your followers. I pray that you would hold them in your tender care, that they would know that not a hair can fall from their head without the will of their loving Savior. And no matter what happens to us in this life, Lord, you've made us new because of your work on the cross, and you will make us entirely new when the heavens and earth are reminted in their consummation. Give us this hope brand our hearts with it we pray in Jesus name amen thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast the Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship the Heidelberg Catechism and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth you can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com <laughs>